Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I know there's some people have wondered, well, why, why, did you, why did you paint the background black? Why, uh, you know, different people have different tastes and so forth. Well, one of the reasons we invested the money in this was that our live broadcast uh, really had a hard time catching the, the speakers on the, on the stage. And so there's a lot of busyness behind us. Uh, it wasn't as bad live, but on the broadcast, it was, it was very busy. And, uh, and then the lighting, uh, if you notice that there, I would step into places and I would disappear, whoever was up here. And that's not good if you're having, trying to do a live broadcast for people to disappear while they're speaking. And so uh, also the new lighting also captures the color very well on, on broadcast because we really do feel like in the coming days, online church and, and frankly satellite locations where we just pipe in video is going to be what God's going to have us doing. I, I believe in the coming days that there's, I believe there's no more crisis on the horizon. I'm a good news preacher, but I'm telling you, I believe that there's going to be some challenging times ahead. And I believe that, uh, Hard times for the world provide opportunities for the church, and we want to be prepared. We want to seize those opportunities, and so we want to get the word out, so we're preparing for that with the setting. But there's also another dimension to that, and that is the whole idea of creativity. Uh, creativity is an expression of the nature of God. It really is. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about this story, so I looked it up this morning. I'd, I'd heard this some time back. And they said about a thousand years ago, Prince Vladimir the Great, he was known as, he was a pagan monarch in Kiev, had decided that he needed to find a one religion to unify the Russian people. And so he sent these delegations all over the world looking for the, the religion that would unify the people of Russia. And they, they went to their then known world and they found, you know, they, they investigated a number of religions. They found some that were very mystical. They found some that were very authoritative and exercised great power and fear in the people. Uh, there were some that were very logical religions. But there was a delegation that came back from the Byzantine uh, capital of Constantinople and they came back with this report. They said, the beauty of Christianity gripped us. They said they took us to the places they worshiped and the philosophy and the, the, the worship of Christianity was what gripped them so much so that they said when they took us to where they worship, we can never forget the beauty of that place and what was going on there. They said we understood that God dwells among men. And the interesting thing was that that became the open door for Christianity into Russia. Vladimir the Great said, then Christianity is going to be our religion. And for many centuries, Christianity was, uh, in, in Russia, was a stronghold. Uh, Russia was a stronghold for Christianity. And uh, we know in recent days, there has been tremendous revival that has swept Russia and Kiev in particular. Even uh, Bill Byers that will be coming next week, he's had some powerful ministry in Russia and especially in Kiev. He's got some tremendous stories of uh, God visiting that nation. But I find it interesting that the open door, what attracted them was not the ethics, not apologetics, but the aesthetics of Christianity, the beauty of Christianity. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often think from that perspective about the beauty of Christianity. I uh, I came to Jesus through another route. I came to Jesus through some great desperation from a broken life. But there is something about the beauty of Christianity that is alluring. And God is the great creator. As a matter of fact, the whole, the whole witness of scripture starts with this little phrase. In the beginning, God created. One of the expressions of God's nature is God is creative. And one of the expressions of his nature in us is that we're to be creative. Every one of us in different ways, but every one of us have gifts, and those gifts are to be expressions, avenues through which the nature and character of God are communicated to mankind. 
And we need to understand that because some of us allow our gifts to kind of be laid aside because they don't necessarily match the gifts that we usually think of when we think of Christianity. But God will often operate uh, through creativity. Matter of fact, I want to say it was C.S. Lewis. He had this phrase. He said, truth and God is too vast to be summed up in mere words. That's why he gives us symbols. I think that's really interesting. That the truth of God is so vast it can't be reduced to mere words. Matter of fact, I would propose to you that's why part of the way that God communicates with us is through the narrative passages of Scripture. Through the Gospels, through Acts, through much of the Old Testament, their story form. And much of Jesus' teaching was not overt didactic teaching. Didactic is the idea of setting someone down and teaching them truth overtly, line upon line, precept on precept, principle on principle. Rather, Jesus would teach through story form because often story will bypass the the defenses of what we already believe and capture our heart. And so story form is one of the most powerful ways in which people can learn. That's why, uh, you know, writing fiction that is rooted in reality is a powerful way to communicate truth. That's why movies are very powerful. Our, our, Our family, with the last couple Christmases, we've had this tradition we watched this wonderful Christmas trilogy called The Lord of the Rings. And uh, man, as a guy, I love that, that movie. I mean, there is so many allegories for Christianity in that. My poor family, I got to, st- they'll say, Dad, we know, be quiet, be quiet. I'll say, boy, that reminds me of this. Yeah, I know, Dad, just be quiet. But there's so much rich allegory written by a Christian man. And he wrote that as a, not as, not as accurate or not as uh, evident an allegory as C.S. Lewis's books, uh, many of his, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, C.S. Lewis and the writer of The Lord of the Rings were, were pals. They would sit around and discuss theology and discuss their literary pursuits. But both of them were able to communicate great truth through story form. Now, there, is, there are streams of Christianity that will tell you that you shouldn't get your doctrine from the narrative passages. They'll tell you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't derive your, go- your doctrine from the Gospels or from the book of Acts. You need to derive your doctrine from the, narrat- I mean, from the, uh, the didactive passages, you know, the epistles. And that's the only safe place to really derive your doctrine. Often, those individuals are cessationists. It's cessationist streams that will tell you that. The problem is they divorce themselves from some very insightful truth. And one of the ironic things is the didactic passages themselves tell you all scripture is inspired and profitable for what? Doctrine, including the narrative passages. So the very, pas- the very ones that they tell you you should isolate your doctrine to tell you that you can also go to the others to learn doctrine. And so the, the experience of these men and women of God in written form are uh, provide us tremendous insight into the ways of God. If you've not noticed, I've been visiting, kind of hitting on this a number of times lately, but this whole thing has really gripped me as of late, how God wants us to know his ways, not just his works. He doesn't want us just to stand and observe what he did in history, but he wants us to understand the why behind the what. God wants to bring us into his counsel. He wants us to understand his ways so that we can intercept him. When we understand his ways, we can cooperate with his ways. If all we understand are his works, we just stand and watch him work, but we can't participate. But when we understand his ways, we can step into them and we can partner with heaven. And one of the ways in which we do that is reading the narrative passages. The narrative passages reveal how God interacts with men and how men who moved the heart of God interacted with God. And we can find some valuable truths so that we can do the same. That we can be people who move the heart of God. And we can step in the way of God and be used by God. And so it's very, very important. 
But those narrative passages are, they, there's some creativity to those because there's a lot of allegory, there's a lot of symbolism. And again, I, I said this a number of weeks ago that there are, there's the overt uh, primary interpretation of a passage. Like the narrative passages, the gospels. The primary message of the gospels is that that was a historical event that happened. And we can build our life on that historical event. But underneath the historical event are principles that we can pull out of there. And underneath those principles are allegories that we can build those principles on. Now, we should never have an allegory that doesn't line up with the overt teaching of Scripture. Every time we pull out a symbolic, allegorical meaning out of a passage, it needs to be tied and anchored to other passages so that we make sure we're staying on track. But God hides himself in these ancient stories in allegorical, symbolic form, and it's beautiful to see. Matter of fact, the early church fathers, some of them were very, very big on the typology of Scripture. And so we look at some of these Old Testament passages and we, we miss much of what God is wanting to tell us if we don't understand that God speaks through narrative and allegories. God is very creative. And God wants to work through us. One of the, you can put it this way, creation is God's art and art is our creation. But art comes in many different forms. There's different ways in which God wants to express himself through you. And this pulls us right into the whole the New Testament subject of spiritual gifting. I, I find it fascinating that the Apostle Paul was the one who received the revelation of the body of Christ and spiritual gifts. Peter mentioned spiritual gifts one time. But after that, there are no other New Testament authors that speak of spiritual giftings the way that Paul does. Paul began to observe the body of Christ and he recognized that there were certain people with certain spiritual abilities. And by the Spirit of God, the Lord began to show him that there are categories of giftings. It's not just that they're random gifts, but there's categories of giftings that tend to show up again and again and again. And Paul began to categorize these under the leading of the Spirit and he began to name what those gifts were. And so we have these three different categories of spiritual gifts. There's the uh, gifts from the Father in Romans 12, the gifts from the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, and the gifts from the Son in Ephesians chapter 4. But Paul recognized that these, there were patterns of behavior and giftings and grace that would manifest through people's lives. And so if we study the word, we can begin to recognize those patterns in our lives. And those, those gifts are avenues through which grace from God comes through us and touches other people. Spiritual gifts, my spiritual gifts are not for me, they're for you. Your spiritual gifts are not for you, they're for me. And so I receive a gift of grace through your life and you receive a gift of grace through my life. And that's what makes us the body of Christ. That's why when Paul speaks of the body, the, the context is always spiritual gifts. And whenever he talks to spiritual gifts, the context is the body. They're one in the same context. Because what assigns you your role in the body of Christ is your gifting. We're not a bucket of knuckles. We're not all one, one type of member of the body. We all have different gifts. And when we bring them together, we get the whole picture. We are the body of Christ. And so there are different elements of God's character that he wants to express through us, through the grace gifts upon us. For instance, the, the gift of hospitality, that is a spiritual gift. Do you know that? Get the gift of hospitality. As a matter of fact, scripture says that an elder must be hospitable. You must be exercising that mark of maturity in your life if you're going to be an elder. And that whole, the whole idea behind uh, hospitality, the Greek word that we translate hospitality is a compound word. It's uh, philo, where we get the word, you know, the, the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's a type of love. It's brotherly affection, warm affection. The other word is nexia, where it's the root word of when uh, people have a, uh, a fear of, of strangers, 
uh, oh man, I, I, the, the word will come to me about the time I lay down in my recliner back home today. But uh, anyway, it's, it literally means the love of strangers. It's exactly the opposite of racism. It's exactly the opposite of alienating the alien, of, of putting people at arm's length. It's this thing that opens up the door and draws people in. And so it's trying to make the outsider family. That's what hospitality literally means in the Greek. And that is the mark of a mature individual or an elder in the body of Christ. That we have eyes that we're always looking. Is there an outsider here? And we want them to feel at least momentarily while they're in this house that they are family. That they belong to us. And really that gift in and of itself is the summation of the gospel. Because God is always looking to make orphans sons and daughters. And it begins with you and I expressing the gift of hospitality, releasing that grace from our, through our life that they feel welcome those few moments when they're around us. So this thing of, of hospitality is very, very important. And it's a mark of the, the nature and the character of God. And if a church, if a group of people are not hospitable, then there's something of the nature and character of God that is sorely missing. They are misrepresenting God. And so this whole thing, the gift of hospitality is a way that God can take that facet of his nature and express it through us. And so it's a way for you and I to be creative. My wife is, has got a gift of hospitality. I'm telling you, we've, our, our storage room is full of different decorations. I'm going to be very busy the next few days because we're going to pack up Christmas. I don't know what she's decorating for next, but she, she is a master at it. And I mean, our home, it's got the garland hanging everywhere and the big ribbons and it's beautiful. I came, I was walking through the living room this morning with my cup of coffee. I looked at on the, the, uh, the hearth of the, the fireplace and there was this garland and these little twinkly lights and all that. It's beautiful. But she loves to do that because we have family in and it makes them feel welcome. They love the beauty of it. And that is an expression of God's nature. When I became the pastor of the church, well, matter of fact, before I became the pastor of the church, I, I, Kathy and I attended Heartland for, I want to say, six, seven years before we became the pastors 20 years ago. And uh, so we were, we were working with Teen Challenge and we were a part of another church in the region and helping out there. And uh, Pastor Calloway, my predecessor, had reached out and asked if we'd come and help. And so I was going to, no, I, matter of fact, he had resigned by this time is what it was. He had resigned and he had pulled me aside and said, you're the guy to follow me. And I thought, man, I've got 14 years in Teen Challenge. I've got a lot invested in this. I need to hear from God. And so I, I said, told my boss, I said, I'm going to go away and fast for three days. And I was going to ask the Lord about this. And I'd committed to a three-day fast. Well, after the first day, I already had my answer. I was so bummed because I thought I already committed to two more days. So, but uh, as I'm praying about it, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And this is what he told me. He said, he said it needs to be, I know this sounds very unspiritual at first hearing to many of us because of the way we think of spirituality. But he told me it needs to be clean, uncluttered, and classy. That's what he said. That we want a spirit of excellence that is expressed through this house. Because God is a God of excellence, and he does everything decently and in order, and there's beauty in what God does. Steve Jobs was the guy who invented the iPhone. And one of the things he did is he merged functionality with beauty. They say that a lot of people still have the old boxes from their iPhones and their iPads because they can't bring themselves to throw it away. The, the, the packaging is so beautiful, they think, I'll use it somehow. And they've got these old boxes. How many of you have a box of an old See, look at it. Steve Jobs merged function and beauty well, what Steve was doing was what God already did. Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian and philosopher, he's gone to be with the Lord, but he was a brilliant thinker. And he pointed out how airplanes, functional airplanes, are beautiful. He said, you can't create an ugly plane that will fly. 
Now you could paint it to look ugly, but the fact is the symmetry of that plane, in order for it to be able to match the laws of aerodynamics, it in and of itself is beautiful. Because in nature, functionality and beauty go hand in hand. And when things no longer function, they become ugly. I was thinking about this very thing as we're watching that great Christmas trilogy, Lord of the Rings. I mean, some of those enemies, they're ugly. There was, we're watching it last night, and my daughter Elisa says, Dad, she was talking about one of these, these enemy beings. She said, his head looks like cauliflower. <laughs> you know, it really does. I mean, these ugly, horrendous beings. Well, why did they create them that way? Because they understood evil defiles, and it makes things ugly, and righteousness makes things beautiful, so much so that the scriptures speak of the beauty of holiness. Holiness makes things beautiful. It redeems. It brings it into its original condition, its original purpose. It's part of God's design. And if we're to be the people of God, we cooperate with that in different ways. God will bring beauty through our lives. Some people, it's through the beauty of music. But music was God's design. It's not a mistake that the enemy, Satan himself, was the worship leader of heaven. And he has harnessed music for great evil. But music can also bring great good. Every one of us have experienced where a song comes on and all of a sudden the, the spirit of God inhabits that song and we feel the presence of the Lord. But that dynamic is not isolated to music. God will come through different ways, different forms of creativity that God will visit us and express himself to us. And so creativity is a mark of the nature of God. There's a reason that human beings are creative, because we're made in his image. The first time in scripture, I wanna say it's Exodus chapter 31. Matter of fact, let's look there. The first time in scripture the Bible ever talks about the spirit of God being upon someone is in regards to an artisan. It's in regards to an artist, a craftsman, the spirit of God being upon them. That, to me, that's fascinating. That's in the book of Exodus. Now, we already have, we've already seen Enoch, who was, went to be with the Lord without dying. We already have Abraham. We already have Joseph. We already have all these different characters in the, the, the book of Genesis. But it's not till we get to Exodus and God is going to erect a place for his habitation do we hear him use the phrase, I have put my spirit upon him. Here it is, verse 1 of Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. First time that phrase, that, that uh, description is made in the Scriptures. And what has he filled him with the Spirit of God for? With ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship. He was anointed to be creative. I think more of us need to get a grid work for that. We need to get a grid work for being anointed, the Spirit of God being upon us with all intelligence. You should stand out among all the other people at your job because the spirit of the Lord dwells within you. You are the person with the answers for that company. We see this throughout scripture. Joseph gets thrown in prison. Next thing you know, he's running the prison. Why? Because the spirit of God was with him. You see it again and again that a man's gift will make a room for him and bring him before great men, Proverbs says. But we need to cooperate with that gift. And we must not reserve gifts to what I'm doing or what the worship team did this morning. There is spiritual gifting to communicate through words, the teaching of the word. There are spiritual gifts to lead people in worship. But it goes far beyond that. There's, there's the spiritual gifts for counsel, to be the answer, to, uh, to, to be that person of hospitality that makes People feel wanted whenever they come around you. 
And that is part of the anointing. And so we see this with Bezalel. So he says, I have filled him with the spirit of God and with the ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship. Why? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting of stones for setting and carving wood and to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men the ability that they may make all I have commanded of you. So God said, I commanded you to make something, and now I've gifted men and women to pull it off. And if you read through this passage, what, what God is speaking to Moses about is a beautiful place to worship. And God even de or designated how they were to make the incense so that the smells would be uh, inviting to people as they come in, that they would, they would encounter these smells within the temple. And those smells were reserved for temple use. And God knew that people would want to replicate them because of the fragrance. There was a certain recipe for that fragrance. And he said, it is, it is uh, dedicated to the Lord. People can't use this recipe in anything else other than worship of me. And if they do, they need to be separated from the people of God. They're going to be kicked out of the church, so to speak. To me, that's, that's fascinating that God cared about the smell, the fragrance, the carvings, the colors, the weavings. All of that was to enhance the worship of him. Now, all of us know that you can get so caught up in the trappings and lose the Lord in the midst of it. It was some time back, we were in a, uh, in a meeting. I, I don't even remember the setting, but I remembered a story I'd heard many, many years ago. And it was of a Russian prince, not the same one uh, that I spoke of earlier, but it was of a Russian prince that was born and, and uh, the, the royal couple had longed for an heir and had tried to get pregnant, tried to get pregnant. And finally, she conceived a child and this little baby was born. And so they were going to have a big celebration because this would be the heir to the throne, this newborn baby. And so they invited a lot of the aristocracy to come to the the capital to the palace, and they were going to celebrate the life of this child. And, uh, and it was very cold, of course. It was rush. It was that time of year. And uh, so they were all putting their big fur coats in this one room, and they were just celebrating. And finally, someone said, well, where is the baby? Can we find it? And lo and behold, the baby had been buried underneath the furs and was killed. And in the, all the celebration, the baby was lost underneath the celebration. It's a vivid reminder that that can happen in churches. We can go, get so into having the coolest song and the most creative way to speak a sermon that we lose Jesus in it all. And we've always got to be careful of that, that Jesus has to be the center. But the fact is that Jesus wants to be worshipped in every way possible. I appreciate John uh, coming up here and, and at times he will, he will paint or draw uh, while we worship. And that is a form of worship. And he's, he's capturing the heart of God in a picture. I've known of people to get healed looking at pictures. God will come through the, the, the avenue of our creativity. And we, we've got to be careful that we don't lose the Christ child underneath the trappings of our celebration. But the fact remains that in Scripture, God dictated to Moses. He wanted to be worshipped in beauty, beauty that would enhance, enhance his worship. And we want to be a church that cultivates people expressing who God is through the grace on their life. Whether it's an ability to sing, an ability to draw, uh, you know, Brad Strickland built some stuff for us. I think some of these trees. He's using his gifts to build things. And all of that is worship. We've got to come against the lie that says there's the sacred and then there's the secular. As if we divide life into two forms. Well, we do our, our sacred thing on Sunday and we might even come on Wednesday night and do a little sacred stuff. But the rest of the week is dedicated to the secular, the, you know, make a check, 
so we can spend a check, so we can make a check, so we can spend a check, and then we die. All of life is sacred. All of life is his. Faith, this morning when you got up here and how you transitioned, it was exactly what I was feeling. I felt like Jesus wanted to claim his dominion afresh this morning over our lives. When we sing that song, yours is the kingdom, it's not talking about some far off uh, place known as the kingdom of God. When the scriptures talk about kingdom, the Greek word is basileia, and it literally means his right to rule. It's not a place. It's not a realm. It's his rule. It's his legal right to exert his authority. And when we cry that out, we're declaring his right to rule over our life. It's an expression of our surrender to him. Yours is the kingdom. And he wants to lay claim to every facet of our life. There are areas of creativity that some of you have yet to surrender to Jesus, not out of, not out of unwillingness, but out of a lack of value for what God has placed within you. There are ways that God can flow through you, through your creativity and your abilities that you need to recognize. I don't know why, but Heartland has attracted a lot of chiropractors <laughs> as of late. The last few years, we've got a lot of chiropractors. I'm telling you, the grace of God and healing can flow through the hands of a chiropractor and the hands of a masseuse. Do you feel the glory when I said that? Hallelujah. A good massage. Hallelujah. But there's, that, that's just one expression. God, God can flow through us, and we need to understand that. If your gifting, your ability is not public speaking or public singing, that doesn't leave you outside the camp as a spectator, a mere pew potato. Get it? Tater, spectator, pupitator. Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, wah, wah, wah. dad jokes from the pulpit. It doesn't, it doesn't leave you on the outside merely watching what's going on. Every one of us have gifts in our life that God put within us and he wants to express himself through us. And he wants to give you creative ideas to do things in new ways and express him in, in fresh perspectives that people haven't seen before. And it's part of the nature of God to be creative. And he has put that within us. You know, children are very, very creative from birth. There are ways that they measure creativity in a child as opposed to, uh, you know, more, more of the the, uh, the logic versus the more intuitive creativity. And they find that little children are very creative, but they begin to lose that as they begin to move up through the ranks of our educational system. I personally don't believe that's because they were intended to lose that and that there's some more creative people out there and some are less creative. I believe that our educational system has a tendency to kind of work that out of people. And there's some stubborn people, some free thinkers that tend to hold to their creativity in spite of it. Refer to Faith here again this morning. I've always been so intrigued by her and her sisters. Her mom and dad raised them in such a unique way. And they're all very creative. They really are. And expresses itself through their hospitality as well as the way that they operate in music and a lot of other ways. I believe one of the reasons they were able to retain that is because of the way they were educated. And we want to maintain that in our children. Those, those of you that are homeschoolers, make sure that you continue to cultivate the creativity in your children because that is an expression of the nature of God. And it doesn't matter if they have artistic ability in the, the, the narrow sense in which we usually think. That's, God will re reveal himself through their creativity in other ways. They may be the creative person that finds new ways to do computing or new ways to build bridges or whatever, but we want to pull on heaven and allow his grace to flow through our lives. I'm telling you, this stuff is important because what happens when we don't have a vision for this, then we don't bring the kingdom to the decision-making table. We're limited to our own understanding and our own intellect 
and we keep our Christian stuff for church. We, we expect God to show up in worship through spiritual gifts in worship time, but we don't expect him to show up through spiritual gifts in the boardroom where we have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that we can become the answer to the problem and God can push us to the forefront so that we can serve well. And so I'm telling you, creativity is an expression of the nature of God. In the beginning, God created. And what he created were other creators. That that is part of our nature. And if we ignore that, if we stifle that, we literally stifle part of the character and the nature of God. The church should be the one with the answers. And we should be the one that are writing the best stories. Writing the best songs. And let me just say it, not every story has to be overtly Christian to come from God. Any more than every song has to be overtly about Jesus to communicate truth. Because an allegory comes in and gets around your defenses by speaking about truth in an emotional way that can grip your heart and you find, we've all experienced the negative side, the evil side of that. Maybe you're more holy than me, but I, there have been times where I've watched a movie and I find myself rooting for something that I would never condone. And I catch myself think, I need to turn the channel. I just endorsed that behavior, especially being a guy, kill him, kill him. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'd, I'd kill that guy. Whoa, 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 that's not, you know, that's not the spirit of God. Because I was taken in by a story. The power of story. The power of creativity, the power of symbols and the power of typology and, and narratives and st all of that is a way that God wants to come in and speak to his people. And so we want to be a people of excellence. We want to be a people of creativity. We want to pave the way for this next generation to be more creative. And so you may think, well, the stage, I don't know if I like it black. Well, it's, it's a way to make the way for more creativity. Amen? And it's going to give us a better picture when we, when we do our live broadcasts, our live stream. Let me just throw a couple of other thoughts out to you before we, we uh, close here this morning. It's interesting that in the beginning, God created, when God created the heavens and the earth, we've talked about this before, God created them simultaneously because they were never intended to function separately. We are created to be spiritual beings. Most of us understand God created the heavens and the earth. We say, well, yeah, God created the earth for man, but what were the heavens for himself? No, Solomon said, even the heavens, the highest heavens cannot contain them. God was already in existence when he created the heavens. I've heard people preach this, and I think I have too, I've had to repent, that the spiritual realm, the heavens are more real than the earth because they're eternal and the earth is temporary, but that's not true because the heavens had a beginning. Now, what was God's existence before? I, I don't understand it. That's beyond my pay grade, okay? I don't know what God was doing, how, what he was occupying before that, but I can tell you this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created them simultaneously and he created them both for you and I. That we are to be beings that are engaging both the physical realm and the spiritual realm all the time. So God created a habitation for man. But then when God turns around and anoints man for creativity, it's so that man can create a habitation for the Lord. And in a very real sense, creativity is the avenue through which God inhabits us. The way that God is released from us is through the various forms of spiritual gifting. And so you need to understand that you can create something that God will inhabit. Your gift, when exercised under the anointing, is an avenue through which God can come. It's a whole other subject. Dig it out for yourself or maybe we'll get into it some other time. But let me close with one other observation from this passage. Listen to what it says. I have filled him with the spirit of God with the ability 
and intelligence and knowledge of all craftsmanship to devise artistic design, to work in gold, silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting, carving wood to work with every craft. Whether we put a premium, whether we put an emphasis of value on those things, God clearly did. So much so that the spirit of the living God partnered with a frail human being to accomplish those things. And then he did this. And behold, I have appointed with him a Aholiab. He gave him a partner in his creativity. My brother Christopher and I were discussing this in the last few days. It was interesting. He was, we were looking back on when Christopher first met Bob Phillips, one of our former pastors. Bob was pastoring down in Houston. And uh, Bob, we had, we had observed Bob's ministry from afar for many years. I, I bought some of Bob's books and tapes, uh, I mean, back 25, 30, 35 years ago. Uh, I went to Times Square where Bob was co-pastoring with David Wilkerson and bought some of his material and was just really impacted by it. So when we got a chance to meet Bob, it was a, it was, we, we were honored to do that. And Bob came to Heartland to hear Leif Hetland. He and Leif had wanted to meet. And so he came when Randy Clark was here. And, and uh, Bob and I really connected heart to heart. And I asked Christopher, I said, did you get a chance to meet Bob? He said, yeah, but he said, frankly, it was awkward. I don't think we really had, there's not a connection there. It was, you ever, you ever met someone you really wanted to meet and you felt awkward about it? Am I the only one? You go up there and you think, that was awkward. You know, why did I say that? It was one of those. And uh, so the next night, this, the, 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 uh, the front of the sanctuary was right in front of these two weird little holes in the wall here. And this was what was known as the house of prayer back here. And so Randy Clark was going to do an impartation time. All the leaders went in the back room and Randy starts praying for him. And Christopher gets a word for Bob Phillips, gives that word to Bob. They fall into each other's arms. And Bob said, I love you so much. We're connected. Here's my, my business card. Let's stay in touch. And they became inseparable in the spirit, Christopher and Bob. It was weird. The day before, yeah, there's no connection. It was kind of awkward. I, I, I don't, frankly, he was saying, and insinuating, I don't know if I ever want to talk to him again. It was so awkward. And now they're fast friends. They would, he'd travel down there and visit Bob, and they were just became connected together. So Christopher one day calls Bob, and I thought, man, he, he felt prompted to call him, calls him. And uh, Bob said, hey, I am just, just left one meeting and stepping into another meeting with a bunch of ministers. Did you need anything? No. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. And well, Christopher, I'm glad you're doing good. I'll call you next week. Love you. Hangs up. And as soon as he hangs up, Spirit of God falls on Christopher and tells him, this is what I want to do in the meeting. Boom, 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 boom. Bob's meeting. And Christopher's like, he just told me he's, you know, busy. The Lord said, call him. So he calls him. Bob picks up and he said, Bob. All I'm telling you is that the Lord just told me this is what he wants to do. Boom, boom, boom. Next week, Bob calls him and said, I released everything you said. It was powerful. God did every, all four things you said he was going to do in those meetings. Matter of fact, I told the people, I don't know what the problem is, the connection between Houston and Ohio, but I had to get the message via Iowa. <laughs> and the other thing Christopher told Bob was that there's a connection between you and Leif Hetland. And there's still that connection with Christopher in life. Christopher was, when we were in Columbia this last time, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Follow me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you, seriously, a very valuable principle. We were in Columbia, and uh, I, I'm, in, I'm down the hall in my hotel room, and I hear Christopher. I know his sound. I could tell he was getting touched by the Lord. Problem was, so did everybody else in the hotel, it's a Sunday afternoon. He's got his noise-canceling headphones on. I hear this, oh, oh, Jesus, oh. <laughs> so I listened to that for about 10 minutes. So I figured, I want in on it, you know. If he's going to wake everybody up, I, I can't sleep. I might as well go get on it. I pounded on the door. He, he didn't open the door. He had his noise-canceling headphones on. Well, what it was was his wife was in a meeting with Leif, and in passing, when Leif was leaving, he just said to Beth, he said, there's a lot of doors about to open for Christopher. There's a shift coming and there's doors going to begin to open. So two days later, she texts Christopher. 
Christopher's in his hotel room after a very busy week of ministry, and he's trying to watch on his phone the Vikings game, which they did win, by the way. Glory. I felt the anointing. Anyway, he, uh, as soon as he reads this, the Spirit of God falls on him. So here he is, days later, through a text, gets this word, and the Spirit of God falls on him. He's visited. So Christopher was telling me what happened when he got touched. So he said, yeah, I talked to Leif the other day, and Leif, I told him what happened in Columbia. As soon as we started talking about it, the Spirit of God came on me again. We began to talk about how we need to play very close attention to those relationships. Some of you have relationships with people that when you get together and you start talking about Jesus, he shows up. There's an added dimension of his presence that marks those meetings between you and those people. And it's consistent. It may not be every time, but you recognize, what when, when I talk to them, when we get together, there's something of the Lord. Man, I get a phone call from them or I get a text. I would propose to you that that's what this passage is talking about. That Bezalel had the spirit of God come on him, but God said, I also put my hand on another guy to partner with him. And there are times where God will give you partnerships in your creativity, in whatever you're called to. And we need to pay very close attention to those relationships because those relationships are highly significant. When I was just, when I had just gotten saved, I was barely barely saved, barely out of Teen Challenge. I was a 19-year-old kid, and I went to this little Bible school with 14 students, little school in just south of St. Louis, Missouri. And I needed to work to get my wife through school, so I was working in their daycare and in their kitchen at this church. And the lady I worked for, she, was, she ran the kitchen, she began to disciple me, and she would give me these David Wilkerson newsletters. She'd say, you sit down, I'll wash the dishes. You need to read this, boy. And that lady became my spiritual mother. And there were so many times where she would say things to me, and the Spirit of God would come upon me. Or we'd, I'd be crying out to God about something, and we'd meet for coffee, and she would answer all my spiritual questions. Just... I wouldn't even ask them. She'd say, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and every question I'd been answering, there was such an anointing that would come again. And it wasn't until years later, she told me, she said, the, she had two daughters and she had asked the Lord for a son and the Lord said, I'll give you one. And when I arrived, the Lord said, that's the son I promised you. That lady so invested in my life. But it was marked by the spirit of God. There was a partnership in the spirit. We're still in touch. Got a text from her this morning. Happy New Year. She's my mama. And there are relationships that some of you have. When you guys begin to talk, it's, it's very close. It's, it's like when Mary went to see Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth was pregnant. And, and the, I want to say it was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary has a visitation from an angel. So what does she do? She goes, looks up someone else that had a visitation. Someone else that's carrying a supernatural thing. And when she walked in, her baby jumped. There's people in your life that when you begin to talk about your baby or they talk about theirs, yours jumps. Because there's something connected. And what she was carrying would prepare the way for what Mary was carrying. There's these partnerships that God will bring in your life that will enhance the gifting on your life. And you need to be aware of it. You need to have an awareness because it will take you farther down the road. You will never have all you need just between you and Jesus. There are gonna be significant relationships that God will put in your life. And it'll be marked by the Spirit of God that when you discuss things, when you meet, there, there's, there's a life that's imparted, there's revelation that's imparted, there's understanding that's imparted. When Christopher and I were talking about this, I, I thought of this, this one leader that it doesn't attend here, that in the region, and when we get on the phone, it's like, I told him, I said, I'll get inside, I don't usually have. I, I get off the phone and I write down what I said because it's like, man, I never thought of that. I need to remember that. And I took note of that. 
Because there's something about that relationship that is very important. There's a synergy that begins to happen. And you need to be aware of the relationships that God puts in your life because one of the the primary resources that we need to learn to steward really well are those key relationships. There's there's such a thing as stewarding and growing a key relationship. Guard those things because often our destinies are connected. There's something that they carry that we're gonna need down the road. There's something that they're gonna impart to us and vice versa. Our callings and our destinies and our, uh, what God, God's hand upon our life are connected with other people. And we need to be aware of that because if we're not aware of it, we can miss it, we can neglect those very, very important relationships. So let's land it there, it's five after. Why don't you go ahead and stand. I wanna pray over you this morning. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head Father, we're asking you right now, Lord, that you would highlight those significant relationships. I just feel prompted from the Lord this morning. We need to be aware, some relationships are seasonal. You can actually outgrow a relationship. It doesn't mean you need to end the relationship, but the roles shift. There are times, there are, sometimes there's people that you were fathered by, you end up fathering because they did a good enough job to make it so. And we need to understand, we, we need to know the signs of the times and therefore know what we should do. You know the context of that passage? The sons of Isaacar understood that they needed to throw themselves behind the Davidic regime and say goodbye to the Saul regime. That's what the context is. It was who are we going to follow in this season? Who are we going to throw our gifts behind? And there are times where God will bring new relationships into your life that are significant, and there's others that aren't as significant anymore. It doesn't mean you have to neglect those relationships, but you need to be aware that God will bring important relationships in your life, and when you understand them, you can move in, you can transition into that new season much quicker by pulling on those relationships because in those relationships are resources that God wants to release to your life. Sometimes it's revelation, sometimes it's other things. And so Father, I ask God that you would brood over us and Lord, you would make us aware. Father, I ask for a heightened sensitivity. God, an awareness of those key relationships for this season. Lord, that we would understand our personal time and our corporate time and therefore know what we should do. Now, Lord, we just dedicate this this year to you. As we stand on the threshold of 2023, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we thank you that regardless of the tumult that lies before us, Lord, we, we stand strong in you. You are our rock, our strong tower. And Lord, we ask that in the coming days that we would shine, we would be the bright and shining answer to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.